0: Hi, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women, 70 to 100 plus, who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Join the Aging Reimagined circle at womenover70.com, promote your book in Books by Women, and invite us to speak to your organization.
1: And today we welcome into our studio, Francine Russo. Francine is 75, she lives in New York. And our thanks to Jeff Ostroff, host of Looking Forward Podcast, for introducing us to Francine. Above all, Francine is a journalist. She has been published in Time Magazine, The Atlantic, and Scientific American. Her article, Older Singles Have Found a New Way to Partner Up Living Apart. Fearing that a romantic attachment in later life will lead to full-time caregiving, many couples are choosing commitment without sharing a home. And that article is appearing in the New York Times. She also has published advice for older couples in the Wall Street Journal. Her latest book is Love After 50, How to Find It, Enjoy It, and Keep It. Today, Francine is passionate about love and is currently writing a piece for Wall Street Journal's Encore section on how older, pe- older couples can partner for health, not fight. Growing up as a lower middle-class Jewish girl in Philadelphia, Francine studied hard to get a scholarship to the University of Pennsylvania. Her parents couldn't afford college and didn't think it was important for a girl to attend. Nevertheless, she earned a doctorate in English literature at the Graduate Center of City University of New York. Francine, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Hello, it is a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And, you know, there's so much for us to discuss, and there's so many areas I want to get into with you. But let's start by hearing about your family and the loves of your life. And I know you dated for 10 years and it spawned two books. So please tell us more.
2: My family was, I think, a typical lower middle class Jewish family in the 1950s and early 60s. And it was very narrow. Um, I, there were a lot of strictures. My parents uh, were shocked by the sexual revolution and wanted to keep me far apart from it. Um, they <laughs> forbade me to go out with boys who weren't Jewish. And my mother would say, "It's very nice to get your PhD, but much more important to get your MRS."
1: Of course. <laughs> when I
2: was I was 23 and not married, I was considered an old maid, and they were desperate for me to marry. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> As it happened, um, I was in graduate school when I met my husband, Alan, and I married him at twenty-four. Um, we we had a very loving marriage for twenty-two years. We had our ups and our downs. We were very immature in many ways. I we had great love, but you know we had dissatisfactions. We had two wonderful children and he died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 49. Oh, no. So the, the 10 years of dating happened between Alan's death and my meeting Chris, my second husband, his name was Christian, by the way, he was not Jewish in case you hadn't guessed. <laughs> and um, that's where I did all of the dating and, making mistakes and having relationships that I write about in my book, Love After 50. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, tragically, after five and a half years, Chris died. And um, I grieved for a long time. And then I met my current partner, Michael, with whom I've been for six years. So I do think of my life in... Epochs, um, in terms of my marriages and relationships, in terms of my children, and in terms of the different careers I have had, because I I had three very distinct careers.
1: Mm. Tell us about that.
2: My first was just the one I was pursuing right out of college in graduate school. I got a doctorate in English literature. I studied Victorian literature. And um, I was the, I am the oldest of those of you who are 75 know that we are the first of the baby boomers. I was born in 1946. Mm -hmm. As the first of the baby boomers, there were Good things to that, and there were bad things to that, and hardly anything in the middle. So one of the bad things was, when I gradu- when I got my PhD, there were zillions of us who had just gotten our PhDs. And guess what? There were no jobs for us Mm -hmm. because there there weren't enough people out there, you know, in colleges and universities wanting, needing teachers. So the first thing that happened was that career after a short time teaching crashed and burned. Not just me. There were zillions of us. They called us the lost generation.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So I, I had my first baby, but I wasn't happy just being a mom. And I through a friend, I found my way into being a writer for, for business for a, a very upscale design and advertising firm. And I did that for 10, 12 years. And as I was turning 40, I I started I started writing a little bit for some magazines. And I really I made it my mission. I mean, turning 40 was a big deal for me. And I made it my mission to really make it in journalism. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I did. Within a year, I had a cover story of New York Magazine. And it was called Live in Divorce, Tortured Couples Who Have to Live Together. Mm -hmm. What was happening then, it was 1990 or 1991, is that I said I was the oldest of the baby boomers, and I told you something that was bad about that, but something that was good about it was whenever there was a trend in that in our generation, I spotted it first. So I, the, my kids were in private school and the parents of my kids were living out a new trend. Some of them, they were at least in New York City, some of them were getting divorced, having terrible, bitter divorces, but either because they couldn't afford to get their own apartments or because both of their lawyers told them they mustn't leave the apartment or they were abandoning certain rights. They lived in the same apartment
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, for months or even years while they got their divorces.
1: I remember and were- that time. <laughs>
2: That was amazing. It was amazing. And I mean, I actually got these people anonymously to talk to me and tell me their stories. And they would say, oh, God, he said, the sound of her brushing her teeth in the morning makes me want to scream. Or they would do things to really annoy and upset the other. And it was the kind of gossip, juicy gossip that everybody wanted to read about. And that was the beginning of my journalism career. So because I was a baby boomer in, I, I got to, I got to hear about trends first. And that's how you make it as a, as a freelance writer in journalism, you come up with an idea nobody has written about before.
1: Mm-hmm. So why was 40 so hard for you turning 40, Francine?
2: it wasn't the turning 40 was hard for me. Actually, it was a wonderful turning point where um, I felt confident. Um, I, I felt like it was, it was time for a change. And writing had always called out to me, not the kind I was doing for an ad agency. But journalism had always called out to me. And Because I was confident and really interested in making a change, I started writing to every editor in the city and sending them samples and persisting and persisting and asking for meetings and banking my way in until they let me in.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, the New Yorker was a great place to start your career.
2: Well, if only it had been the New Yorker, but in fact, it, it was a very upscale magazine in New York, which is still here called New York Magazine.
1: Okay, a common mistake, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So New York it happens to be a, a really good magazine, though I've seen it many times and looked yes. at. Yeah, yes. Yes. So that was a great place to start, actually.
2: Right, and and the next and. Both of my the, my books, my first one was about how adult siblings can deal with each other around their parents aging. And I was, my sister was at war with me because I was out of town when my parents were aging. And there was a lot of bitterness. And everyone else I talked to my age was going through the same thing. And so when I started researching that, I realized this was a new trend. Nobody had written about sibling relationships over mm-hmm. aging parents, so that became my first book. And again, the benefits of being a baby boomer—I was the first—and mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm the first with my current book. But as somebody who found love twice in my uh, over the age of fifty, I certainly had a unique vantage point um, on how to do it, how to make it work, um, and a lot of wisdom that I had to share. And so when publishers, publishers wanted my book, Love, Love After 50, Love, Love After 50, because um, there were a lot of people who were 50 and single because there was a huge boom in divorces. Mm-hmm. Of people in their fifties and that's still happening. People are still getting divorced in their fifties at, you know, record rates. And of course, as you know, the reason for that is we're living longer and healthier than any other generation before us. And so people at 50 think, Oh my gosh, do I have to live for another 30 years in this unsatisfying marriage? No, there's more out there. Let me go find it.
1: (laughs) So, so, all right. I'm I'm chomping at the bit. Tell tell us some ways that you think you can go after or after uh, you know finding find dating finding finding uh, someone to be with after a certain age.
2: The most important thing that I had to do was to work on myself and think about. I had to be stronger because I'd always been a very needy person. And I was a little desperate to find a partner. I was afraid to be alone. Certainly after Alan died, this was not true after Chris died. And so, you know, I would, I would, my friends would say, you know, it's not very attractive when you're desperate. And I'd say, I know, but I am desperate. What should I do? Well, the answer was I had to find a way to make my life okay. Mm-hmm. And I did. I I, I always have, was better with a partner, happier with a partner. But I learned to be okay on my own. For example, one thing I did on a on a vacation in Amsterdam for a couple of weeks, I rented a bike because that's how in Amsterdam that's how everyone gets around. Mm-hmm. And I rediscovered how much I had loved doing that when I was a teenager. And so when I got back to Manhattan. I bought a bike and I started riding and I joined bike clubs and I got advice. And I was then riding for the Village Voice and I, was, I lived five miles from there. And every day I would get on my bike and ride to the, to the village and ride back. And I just loved it. And on the weekends, if I was on my own, I, I could ride my bike by the river or through a park. And I was perfectly happy on my own. If I joined a club or went out riding with friends, that was good, too. But I didn't need anybody else. And that was just one thing I learned to do to be stronger. And once I felt that, I was I recommend online dating to everyone doing it carefully. Now, in the and I recommend I've met my second husband and every boyfriend I ever had online. Mm -hmm. I I don't recommend doing it on a telephone because texting is too fast and too crazy. I recommend using a computer and doing email because you have more time. Both of you have more time. And when you look online and I give a lot of tips in my book, Love After 50, how to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. ways to make it work for you and not just be like responsive to stupid people who write, hey, beautiful, or hey, gorgeous, I'm in love with you when they've never (laughs) met you and it means nothing. And um, so, you know, the tips are all in my book, but one of the most important things to do is to reconsider a lot of people go out with a list i want to find someone who has this much money this kind of education this religion this blah 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 and there might be 12 things on that list and i'm going to bet that if you have a list of 12 things that maybe only 3 of them are actually essential to having a fabulous relationship
0: mm-hmm. and maybe
2: not the ones you think because you know, when it's like what my mother wanted for me was exactly what I ultimately did—to marry somebody appropriate, which was a nice Jewish lawyer.
1: <laughs> Tell me, I, did you have to did you have to kiss a lot of frogs in order to find your prince charming?
2: Are we talking about when I met Alan, or when I after he died?
1: Either either way, on, from online dating.
2: From online dating, yes, I, 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 I had many, 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 many first dates. Mm-hmm. I had a few that I wished had gone on to second or third dates, and they didn't, and it was disappointing. Mm-hmm. I had some where I had to nicely say, "I'm sorry, but um, I just don't feel the right kind of chemistry." Which was a great, a great response that doesn't hurt people's feelings. Yes. Um, and but um yes and and you know but after a while i mean after chris died and after i i spent that time on my own and recovered from mourning um when i looked again it didn't take me very long i didn't have that many first dates because i could tell from a couple of the emails and from A phone call. I always had a phone call before I met people that, um, you know, whether we had a chance of clicking. Mm -hmm. And when I met Michael, it was just like, we instantly clicked. And it's in a way a funny story. And it has a couple of good lessons for people. We met on the day after Valentine's Day. So we just celebrated our sixth anniversary of our meeting. So we met and we really we really got along, and I was sure he would call me or write to me, and I heard nothing. <laughs> and after a few days, I thought, you know what? Let me, I have his phone number because we had talked. I said, let me just call him. What's the worst thing that will happen? He won't, he'll tell me to never darken his door again. I, I can, I, I've lived through bigger disappointments in my life. So I called him and he said, I recognize this number. He was so excited because it turned out that he had written me what he called a Valentine. He was so excited by me. And Match.com had shut down my account because it had been hacked. So I never got this Valentine.
1: Oh. (laughs) And
2: if I had not had, you know, the guts Mm. to call him and not to worry about what would happen. Who knows whether he, he would have gotten in touch. He probably felt rejected. So there were two things. One, technology sometimes messes up
1: <laughs> and you
2: have to pursue it. And the other thing is sometimes if you like somebody, it's worth the trouble to just check out whether the person's interested because sometimes things go awry.
1: <laughs> That's right that's right that's quite a story quite a story and i'm very happy for you that you have found someone at, at this age at that time and um yeah that's that's really nice to hear Francine and so do you ever think about aging Francine do you you know what does that ever come up for you
2: oh, how can it not i'm 75 years old i look in the mirror every day um <laughs> i think i look pretty good for my age, but I can't fool myself anymore that I look like I'm 50 despite the fact that I color my hair. Um, You know, but it's one thing I've done because as it happens, I have severe osteoporosis um, and I'm on, I'm on a um, bone thickener or whatever they call it. I started working with a trainer twice a week to do weight training. And I, I've always hated exercise and found it boring. I've now been doing it for three years, religiously. Not only did my bones improve, but I really love having, being strong and having muscles.
1: <laughs>
2: and um, I love the way my body feels and looks. and um, you know, and I just, I feel, I've, I i want to live, I want to live as long as I can live and be healthy. I think everybody wants that. I'm blessed with um, my children and also as a result, one of the great compensations of having been married to Chris, even so briefly, is that he was a widower when I met him. And so when he died, he had three young adult children for whom I, the stepmother, was the only parent. And mm-hmm. I really became their parent, and they really became my child. And every every year on Thanksgiving, we all get together, the, my five children and now my eight grandchildren, and um, we're a family. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. <laughs>
1: That is fabulous. And you did it. You you know, it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't made it happen.
2: I made it happen. I know. And it it is so rewarding.
0: Yes. I have a question, if I might. Um, Of course. About, um, Gail said that you're writing a piece now on uh, retirement. Is that
2: correct? I am writing a piece for the Wall Street Journal's retirement section. It comes out oh. twice a year. It's called okay. Encore. I wrote a piece for them in their last issue about how, you can de- how new couples, new older couples, can deal with their own and each other's children if there are issues. Mm. Okay. And this time I'm dealing, I'm writing a piece called Stop, that's terrible for your health how couples can partner for help and not fight.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's great.
1: Yeah. You you want to tell us a little bit more about that one?
2: Well, I don't want to give it away too much, but I'll just give you (laughs) one tip. Nagging doesn't work.
0: (laughs) Yes. That's a good reminder to everybody for sure. Francine, it sounds like you're, you're continuing to to really be on the lookout for trends. That's, examples you gave I am. us. And if yeah. anybody
2: has has an idea for um for a story or an article, I would love to hear from you. Boy would I love to hear from you.
1: hmm Yeah. And so do you get these placed yourself or do you have a publicist who helps you? No, no, no. I I um
2: as a mag most magazine writers Do not have agents or people who place things for them. I'm a veteran journalist. And basically the way it works is I write to an editor, usually an editor I know or have an introduction to. And I say, I'd like to write a story about X and give a little detail. And the editor will say, "Um, tell me a little more or that sounds great, give me... A thousand words by two weeks from now, and we'll pay you X amount.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: So that's how it works.
1: Uh huh. So, do you believe that you is it difficult for someone trying to break into this field who has not got your track record? How, how do new people get into it? If I wanted to write a magazine article and and get it published, can you give me some tips as to how to do that?
2: I would say it might be difficult. Um, there's a lot of competition. I would say come up with a great story idea that hasn't been written about. Mm-hmm. It, you know If you have an idea, I mean, I had never written for New York Magazine, and I had only written a few articles when they hired me to do Live in Divorce. But the minute they heard about this trend that people who hated each other had to share an apartment, they said, tell me more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Perseverance. You said it earlier.
2: Well, yes. And, you know, if you could get an editor to write back to you, then start a dialogue. Um, If this doesn't work for you, what are you looking for? Um, Also, the thing to do is to study what's published in a particular magazine, because every Mm -hmm. magazine has a kind of story that they do. And if you really become um, conversant with what they're interested in, you have a much better chance of landing an assignment.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Francine, with um, the online dating Yes and do you have tips in your book love after 50 about what how to, what to say in your profile how did you how yes. did you decide what to say about yourself
2: yes i do and um it's it's avoid generalizations to find what's really interesting and quirky about you and if you have trouble with this ask your friends you know mm-hmm. what because your friends will tell you what they like about you. And, you know, at our age, it's not, I'm sexy and gorgeous, although maybe you are, <laughs> but it's, you know, this, this is who I am. I've done, uh, this is what I'm looking for. This is, I like to and be as specific as possible. Mm-hmm. I like to run by the Hudson River three times a week, but only and a little humor is great too, even if it's self-deprecating. But only between you know 3:15 and four o'clock and four o'clock when hardly anybody is in there or the dogs aren't there. Or I like or I, I like to go and hang out at the dog runs. I don't have a dog myself, but boy, what if I had a dog, I'd like X, Y, and Z just specific quirky things. I like, I like to cook, but, um, you know, only, only Italian food. And I, uh, cause I, uh, because I'm careful about my weight. I only, I give it away or I only eat a cup and I give it away or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever is quirky and, about yeah. you and say something about your life i mean if i were going to write a profile now i'd say i've been widowed more than once but i'm i'm alive and and <laughs> a survivor and
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know that kind of thing
1: yeah but thank you
2: get a friend to read it over um, and try not to be boring or just say you know stereotypes
1: if writing magazine articles and books Does stops working for you I can't imagine it wouldn't it would uh you have a new career helping online daters write their profile it's needed
2: (laughs) I'm sure it is and there are actually plenty of dating coaches out there and even people who ghostwrite your profiles you look online you'll find them
1: (laughs) I'm sure so what's next for you
2: more articles. I, I just got an assignment to do a fabulous piece for Scientific American about a female archaeologist who um, who learned a whole bunch of new things about Viking women and how powerful they really were in their society, rather than just sitting at home taking care of the babies and cooking.
1: <laughs> and and uh, this is this is a true profile of someone.
2: Oh yes, this is an archaeologist. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not fiction. It's it's.
2: Uh... No, it's not fiction. No, not for uh, Scientific American.
1: I wouldn't think so, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so interesting. Well, anything else you would like to leave our listeners with? How do we find your book?
2: Uh, my book, which was published by Simon and Schuster, is available anywhere you get books. You can get it. Um, you can get it on Amazon or. Barnes & Noble or indie books wherever you like mm-hmm. and um, and you could go to my website francinerusso.com mm-hmm. and you could write to me that way if you have questions um, but really I would love to hear from people and I'm I'm happy to respond to questions and as I say if you have ideas for a For an article that you think really should be written, tell me, please tell me.
0: (laughs) We'll be
1: thinking about that. (laughs) Absolutely. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much, Francine, for being with us today. Oh,
2: believe me, it's been so much fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, and thank you. And listeners, subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Visit womenover70.com to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us on the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast hosted by Aging Reimagined Circle. And we'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.